What's up, everybody? Welcome to Mountain View. Uh, if you haven't met me before, my name's Michael Went. Uh, I've been working on staff here for four years, uh, and I'm just excited to see you here tonight. Um, hope you connect. Hope you make some friends. Hope God has something to teach you tonight. Uh, tonight, we are starting a new series we're calling Know, Grow, and Go. Uh, and here's why. When people ask you what Mountain View College ministry is about, this is what we want you to tell them, that we are all about knowing, growing, and going. Knowing who God is, growing in God, and going for God. We've never really had a catchy phrase like that before, so I'm really excited to introduce that. What does it mean to, to know God, to know his word, to know his character, his personality, his love for us? What does it mean to grow in that knowledge, grow as people of God? And then finally, what does it mean to go in God? to go and love people that aren't found in churches like this, to go find suffering in the world, get intimately involved in it, and try and be a solution with God's help. So tonight is knowing God. How do we know God? And we're going to look at some of the words of Jesus in John 14. So if you've got Bibles, you can turn there. If you've got apps, you can open them. Everything's going to be up here on the screen as well. Uh, before we read this passage, I want to tell you a couple stories, Okay. I want to tell you about the worst classroom experiences I had at CSU, all right? We'll start off with an easy one, all right? My second semester freshman year, I was in a plant biology class. Uh, if you know anything about me, I couldn't care less about plants, kind of don't care about biology either. Uh, but it was probably three quarters of the way through the semester, I went to my like 8 a.m. class and I sat down and I didn't recognize anybody in the room. And I thought, oh, everyone must be skiing today, that's cool. Uh, then this random guy I had never seen got up and started lecturing, and I thought, hmm, we have a guest lecturer today, that's cool. And then it was only like 30 or 35 minutes in, I was like, what he's saying doesn't make any sense to me. And it was 35 minutes into like three quarters of the way through a semester, I realized I was sitting through a 300 level ecology course, not a 100 level plant biology course, which tells you something about how good of a student I was freshman year. Uh, Let's follow that up with one from my senior year. I was in this like coding data analytics psychology class. Yeah, none of those words seemed to go together. They didn't for me either. And on the first day of class, the professor, Professor Gibbons, she might still be around, uh, was explaining like, hey, I know that data and coding, that's not something that psychology students are usually very good at. So she was like, tell you what, at the end of the semester, before the final project, if you just really haven't caught on to coding, she was like, send me an email that says you want to take the nuclear option, and I'll do all of your coding and data for you, and then you just have to write a paper, and you'll just drop one full letter grade. So while she was speaking, I was emailing her, like, hey, I'd like to take that nuclear option. And that led to a very heated email exchange. Uh, so if Professor Gibbons ever listens, I'm sorry for my anger and my tone with you, uh, but the nuclear option was totally worth it. <laughs> but here's the big one, all right? The worst classroom experience I ever had in college was my freshman chemistry lab 112. Yeah, anybody else have to take that class? Yeah. Okay, it's a three-hour lab that I took at night with like anywhere from an eight to 12 hour lab report you have to type out. And every single lab, it was the same experience for me. I had this TA, I'm sure he was a great guy, but he never ever answered a single one of my questions. I'd go up and I'd ask him a question or two and he'd like kind of smirk at me. 
and then like ask me some questions or try and give me some hints to like help me teach something. And I just wanted to pick him up and shake him. Just be like, Brad, I don't care at all. Just tell me exactly what I need to write down to get an A. I don't need to understand. I don't know why the wax melts the way it melts. Just tell me exactly what I need to know to get an A and pass this class. Here's the question. How many of us approach knowing God the same way? God, tell me exactly the four things I need to know for salvation. What are the five steps to like perfectly love you and perfectly love my neighbor so I can just pass the test? Tell me the three things I need to do this week to make me feel like I'm a good follower of Christ. Does that resonate with you? How many of you are ever just aggravated or fearful or anxious or just kind of fed up with like the difficulty of trying to know God and the difficulty of trying to obey him. If you are, you're in good company, and that's exactly what we're looking at today. Because here's the thing, God has made a way for us to know him and to know him really well, but he didn't give us a set of step-by-step instructions or a how-to manual. He gave us a person a person to know in and trust and believe. And sometimes knowing a person takes a lot more time than knowing a how-to manual, all right? So with that, let's start reading. I'm going to read all the way through this uh, passage, John chapter 14, 1 through 11. And Jesus says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves." So let me set the scene here, all right? Verse one, let not your hearts be troubled. Let me tell you what's going on here. Jesus has been traveling for three years with his disciples, the people that are following him. And for the beginning of those first three years, everything was looking pretty good. Jesus was going around uh, doing miracles, healing people and casting out demons and feeding thousands of hungry people with a loaf of bread. And he was sharing this, this message that the kingdom of heaven was coming and that Jesus was the king and the Messiah and the rescuer here to save people from their sin and bring them back to God. Now that message never changed, but near the last half of his ministry, he started sharing a little bit more of what that actually was going to look like. And so he'd pull his disciples together and he'd say like, hey, I am the king of this kingdom. I am the Messiah, but actually I've come here to die. I've come here to suffer for you. And guess what? If I'm persecuted and if I suffer, then you also are going to suffer. And he's starting to share some pretty hard and difficult things with his disciples. So 
right before this, he's told them that he was going away and that he was going to die. He said that one of his closest 12 friends was going to betray him. He said that Satan was working against them and that actually every single one of his disciples was going to abandon him before his death. He's saying some really scary and heavy stuff. And so right before this passage, all of his disciples must have like front-loaded in their mind all of these fears and anxieties and stressors and unknowns in their life, right in the front of their head. So I want to put you in the same position that all of these disciples are. Take a minute and just think about the anxieties and the fears and the unknowns in your life. Just like how all these things must have been stacking up on disciples. Take a second and just think about that. What's, what's unknown? What's fearful? What's anxious in your life right now? Is it relationship stuff? Is it future stuff? I know we've got a lot of seniors in here. Are you thinking about future jobs, future cities, future churches and friends? Are you thinking about the difficulties of knowing God or worrying about maybe not being a good enough follower for him? What are all those things in your mind right now? And now let's read it again. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Here's what Jesus is saying. When your hearts are troubled, when you're spiraling about the future and unknown and fears and anxieties and wondering where God is in the midst of all of that, believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Look at how many times in these verses Jesus placed the emphasis on himself. He wants all of your devotion, all of your belief, all of your trust placed on himself. And with all this talk about the Father's house in many rooms, here's what Jesus is talking about, all right? He says, believe in me, trust in me, because I am making a way in eternity for you. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about eternity with God. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, because heaven is actually going to be one of the major themes of our semester this, this year. Uh, the last half of the semester, we're going to preach all the way through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And over and over and over again, we're going to talk about Jesus' second coming and eternity with God. That Jesus is going to gather everybody from all time that believes in him and start his kingdom forever here on earth. But let me just give you a quick summary of what's going on here, all right? Jesus was a carpenter. A lot of you might know that, a lot of you might not, but he's not talking about many rooms and building A-frame houses and mansions in heaven. Jesus is talking about he has made a way for us to know and live in the presence of God forever. And I know that sounds super theological and not that practical, and I'm going to explain that more, but when the disciples are anxious and when they're fearful, what he has to say is really simple. He simply says, hey, don't worry I've already prepared eternity for you. I've already prepared the way for you to know God and live with him forever. There's room for you in heaven, and I'm going now to make sure that's possible. So don't miss this. When you're anxious, when you're fearful, when your hearts are troubled, remember that Jesus has already taken care of eternity for you. He has made a way for you to know God forever. But just like the disciples in this moment, um, that might not be clear enough for you. That might not be enough to settle all of your current anxieties. You need some steps, right? You need to know exactly how to get an A on that test, right? Exactly how to get to heaven. So Thomas doubles down and asks again. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus answers with some of the most famous verses in Scripture, all right? And Jesus said, you want to know the way? You want to know the steps to take? I'm the way. 
I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Any of you heard this verse before? It's super important. Actually, it's super worth memorizing. And we're going to do that right now, however awkward that might be, okay? Okay, repeat after me. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's do it again. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, one more time, real loud and proud. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Congratulations. Memorized your first verse of 2022. Unless you were here three weeks ago when Clark did this exact same thing. Here's another uh, illustration of how horrible CSU experiences were for me, all right? Uh, When I came to college, I was 23 or 24. I hadn't taken a math class in like seven years. Uh, So I had to take all of the remedial math classes, all of the PACE classes. So I was in the math help center every single day getting tutors and help and taking the test over and over and over again. And it was great. I learned all about how to uh, add and multiply fractions. Uh, And I didn't remember long division, so I relearned long division. And I learned about the transitive property, which you probably learned about in the first grade, and I learned about when I was 24. Uh, But here's the transitive property, all right? If A equals B and B equals C, A equals C. Yeah, real simple, all right? Same thing applies here. Jesus is the way to know God. No one comes to God except through Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you know God. You can say those things in like any order you want. If you know Jesus, you know God because no one comes to God except through Jesus because Jesus is the way to know God. Super, super simple. The way to know God is to know the person and the works of Jesus. So let's talk about that. Jesus is God, and you can't state it any clearer than that. And if you're newish to church, if you're newish to exploring Christianity, you may get confused when you hear Jesus called the Son of God. Like maybe he was created by God or a step below God, and that's just not true. Colossians 1.15 says this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know the invisible God, you need to know the person of Jesus. If you think God is unknowable and so far out there that it's impossible to know him, to know his character, his personality, his likes and his dislikes, he's not. If you want to know God, you got to know Jesus. And God the Father in heaven and God the Son, Jesus, they aren't interchangeable, but they are one. Jesus says that here in this passage too in verse 10. He says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Many of you have probably heard of the Trinity It's the belief that God is one in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we believe that Jesus, the Son of God, is God who came to earth, born a human 2,000 years ago. And here's what he was born to do, to make a way for us to know God. And you want to know how he did it? By dying on a cross. 
This conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples in chapter 14, it happens just a few hours before he's illegally arrested, illegally tried, and illegally crucified and killed. But Jesus allowed all that to happen. He knew it was going to happen because his death, the death of God himself, was the price needed to pay for our sin and make a way for us to come to God. The way to know God is to know and believe in Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection from the dead three days later. And there's no other way to know God. That's why John, one of the guys sitting here listening to Jesus in John chapter 14, the writer of this book, says a little bit later, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. If you want life, if you want to know God, if you want to know the answer to all your fears and anxieties, if you want to know the truth and have life eternal, believe in Jesus. If you know Jesus, you know God. And there isn't any other way. God doesn't give us any other options. There aren't many paths to God. Islam isn't going to lead you to God. Mormonism doesn't lead to God. Buddhism or Taoism or being one with the universe doesn't lead you to God. And neither does wishful thinking or just hoping that you and God are going to have some sort of understanding and you're just going to slide through. A lot of you uh, probably remember my friend Tim. He used to come here a lot before he moved to Oregon. And I'd tell him about Jesus all the time. And every single time he'd just say, nah, man. He's like, me and the J-man, we're cool. And I just want to be like, Tim, you're not cool. Like, you don't know him. You don't believe in him. Don't take this flippantly. Don't take this uh, not seriously. Our sin separates us from God for eternity. And the only way back to him, the only way to know him is belief in Jesus, Period. And it's simple. This is belief. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And even more than that, look at all of these verses of what Jesus said belief is. What you receive when you believe in him. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. And you know what the crazy thing about this is? Even after Jesus says all of this, he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come to me and you won't hunger and you won't thirst. You'll have eternal life. He says all of that, and the disciples still don't really get it. They still want the step-by-step. They still want the how-to manual. They still want to know exactly what they need to do to get an A on that test. And so then Philip doubles down and says the same thing that Thomas says. Philip said to him, Lord, just show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Now, when Jesus responds to him, I don't don't want you to feel like Jesus is critical or angry or frustrated at Philip or Thomas or anybody else that's asking him questions. Because if you think Jesus is frustrated with Philip, that's just a small step from thinking that Jesus is frustrated with you. And nothing can be further from the truth. Jesus is, is patient and gentle, and he delights in people asking questions and desiring to know him. Whenever you attempt to believe that God is frustrated at you, remember the patience Jesus shows his disciples. He's gracious and he's understanding. And you want to know why? 
it can take a long time to get to know and trust a person. Y'all want to hear another ridiculous survey like last week? Okay, in a survey I found online, uh, no idea how accurate it is. This is what I learned. It takes college students 43 hours of time together to turn an acquaintance into a casual friend. It then takes 57 hours for a casual friend to become a friend. And it takes 119 hours for a friend to become a good friend or a bad friend. (laughs) Wait, good friend, best friend, best friend. (laughs) Ruin that one. Let's go back and memorize something again. That's a lot of hours, yo. And just like last week, I have no idea where those numbers came from. But it teaches us something, right? It says something about how long it takes to trust someone. And God isn't asking you to trust a rule book or a set of step-by-step instructions for your salvation and your eternal life. And he doesn't hand you a manual like some Ikea bed frame and tell you just follow these steps and you're going to end up okay. He tells you to trust a person. If you want to know God, you want to know who he is, what his character is like, what his personality is like, if you want to know his love for you and the forgiveness he offers you, if you want to know the plan of salvation and the purpose that God has for you, then get to know Jesus. And it's okay if that takes you a while to believe in him and trust in him. Take comfort in the frustration of the disciples here who walked with Jesus every day for three years and still didn't quite get it. But the good news is that eventually they did. Thomas, asking this question right here, just a few chapters later, sees Jesus resurrected from the dead, and he cries out, my Lord and my God. Thomas got it. Philip got it. All of these guys got it. But all of them were learning to trust Jesus as Lord and God, just like we are. So just like last week, I got a couple action steps for all of us, all right? Here's some steps to take. If you want to know Jesus... There's three things that Jesus points out and he gives to everyone who desires to know him, all right? They're right up here on the screen. The first one is this. The first way we know and believe in Jesus is through the Bible. It's through scripture. Everything in the Bible is there designed to push you into understanding and knowing who Jesus is. The entire New Testament, the last bit of your Bible, all of it is pointing back to Jesus as the risen and resurrected king of the universe, God who is risen and reigning and redeeming a people. And everything that happens before the Gospels is pushing you to understand that you need a Savior, that you need a Messiah to see the personality and the care and the love of God displayed in the image of Jesus. So if you want to know Jesus, read your Bible, particularly read your first or your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the the stories of Jesus. That's the first and probably largest way that we're going to learn who Jesus is. And the second is this. We learn who Jesus is through his people, through believers. So last week I mentioned uh, Paul to you. Paul was a Pharisee who came to believe and trust in Jesus. Then he became a missionary to like the entire Roman and Greek world. And over and over again in Paul's messages, he's saying the same things. He's saying, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And that's what every Christian should be saying. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Christians, those who believe in Jesus, have the Holy Spirit inside of them, working and changing them to love more like Jesus, to act more like him, to have the emotion and the care and empathy of him. So when you get around Christians, you should start to understand that something is different about them. Something reflects their Savior to you. 
A lot of you might remember uh, this girl, Alex. She was the first girl I baptized here four years ago. And Alex showed up on a night just like this, listened to the message, listened to the worship, hung out for a while with everybody. And at the end of the night, she came up to the front and she just said to me, "Uh, I don't know what you believe. I don't know what you guys have, but I want it. Whatever makes you how you are, just tell me what that is. Because Alex recognized that something is different about Christians. And it's the way that Christians love each other and love you that can teach you something about who Jesus is. So learn who Jesus is through scripture, through believers, and through his works. Let's go back to John chapter 14, verse 11, and finish this. Verse 11 says this. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. It's so gracious of Jesus to point to his works and his actions here. When you're struggling to believe what you read, when you're struggling to believe what you might see in others, believe in his actions. Back then, Jesus was going around doing miracle after miracle, healing people, saving people, casting out demons, feeding people. He was doing miracles then, and he still does miracles now. The season that I came to know and trust in Jesus, in part, was because I started praying to him. And I started asking him to work in my life and reveal himself to me and save me and protect me in ways that only he could. And you know what? He showed up and he did. And it was through reading his word, it was through the Christians I had met in life, and it was in believing in the works and the miracles that he was doing in my life that caused me to finally believe and trust in Jesus. So those are your three action steps. Scripture, people, and Jesus' works. Now, for a lot of you, especially those of you who know and believe in Jesus, a lot of what we've talked about tonight probably seems really basic and really elementary to you, right? It's easy to say, I know Jesus, I got this. But how often do we get frustrated at what it means to follow him? And we have the same attitude that Thomas and Philip had here. How often do we get frustrated at Christianity the same way that I would get frustrated in Chem 112? Jesus, just tell me exactly what I need to do to preach a good sermon. What are like the five steps I need? And what are the three things I need to do to make a disciple or the five things that makes me a good Bible study leader? Tell me exactly what I need to do to get an A plus as a follower of Jesus. You might believe in Jesus, but how often do we approach our faith looking for step-by-step instructions or looking for a how-to manual rather than looking to Jesus and asking ourselves what we can simply learn by being with him? You know, our frustrations about our faith might come because sometimes we're more interested in a how-to manual than we are in a Savior. So again, if you're sometimes frustrated with faith, if you're frustrated with the difficulty of knowing Jesus or knowing his will for you, you're in good company. Thomas was there. Philip was there. And it's not a bad thing to have a lot in common with Thomas and Philip. They love Jesus. They want to follow him and they want to learn from him. But instead of looking for step-by-step instructions, look to Jesus. Grow in knowledge of who he is, how he acts, how he speaks to people, how he speaks to you. How he loves people and think about it and meditate and pray about it so much that you learn to do the same. And in fact, that's what next week's sermon about. This week, knowing God. Next week, growing in God. But I'll give you a hint now. Uh, Next week, it's not about a step-by-step manual. And it's not about instructions or an Ikea how-to. 
It's about learning more and more about a person, learning more and more about Jesus. So right now as I pray, let's stand up and let's give our attention and our worship and sing to this person. Jesus, we worship you as God and God alone. Um, We just acknowledge that you are the only way to know God the Father. You're the only path and way for salvation and eternal life. Uh, Jesus, would you just calm our fears and our anxieties, those of us who know and believe in you here, uh, would we just give that up to you and remember that you have made a way for us to be with you and be in God's presence for eternity. And Jesus, I ask that you just show up and you answer questions in people's minds who are wondering who you are and why they should believe and trust and follow you. And I'm just so, so confident that you can reveal yourself supernaturally, that uh, your works speak for themselves. But I ask that you just work through the people in this room. You work through scripture. You work through supernatural ways to reveal yourself to people and grow people that love and trust and believe in you. Yeah, trust you with that, Jesus. Love you. In your name, amen.